You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 21 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. Following on from our conversation with Kevin Routledge last week, who said that one of the biggest things that they need to work on at the Leicester Riders is coaching uh, to improve the development pathway and be able to develop a player all the way from the junior ranks through to the senior team. Had a few suggestions from listeners to interview a coach. And one of the coaches' names who came up consistently was James Veer. Uh, James Veer is GB Under-20 assistant coach. He currently coaches at Barking Abbey in East London, um, but has done it all in terms of experience, a little bit of everything at such a young age as well. Uh, so he came up uh, originally with Seven Oaks. Um, he spent time in Canada uh, at Dalhousie. Dalhousie? I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Um, a university there. Uh, signed pro um, in Denmark where he won a Coach of the Year award. Um, and then obviously came back to the UK where he's been for two years now working more with junior players again. So, yeah, for someone to be able to comment on the kind of uh, whole scope of the spectrum for coaches, I think he's a very worthy opinion to listen to. Um, so we spoke for an hour. Uh, he was actually at work, so he joined me from the staff room. So there's a little bit of background noise at times. But... Uh, you can hear the whole thing um, and he provided so much a very interesting and uh, valuable insight which I think you'll be able to take a lot from have a listen let me know what you think as always I am contactable on sam at hoopsfix.com or every single social media profile at hoopsfix uh, do give me your feedback do give me suggestions for future guests um, and any anything else that's on your mind and if you do have a spare moment, please go to iTunes, give us a rating and review to help us rise up the rankings and spread the word of this podcast. Um, also, final thing, if you do want to hear from me on a weekly basis in your email inbox, go to hoopsfix.com forward slash newsletter. That is hoopsfix.com forward slash newsletter. Sign up to my weekly three-point Thursday newsletter where I go over three things that have been on my mind or things that I've seen or heard over the last um, week. It is... Uh, primarily exclusive content just for the newsletter that doesn't go out publicly on the site um, so yeah by all means please do sign up and we can uh, continue to talk there but yeah have a listen here is my conversation with James Veer James thanks for joining us thanks for having me um, so for people that, that maybe don't know who you are can you give us a uh, very brief rundown um, of your career. Kind of try and keep it short and succinct to a to a paragraph or so. So far, uh, okay. So started coaching twelve years ago, or or about that kind of that time. Uh, I coached the Seven Oaks Suns doing their boys teams, uh, and then progressed to uh, Medway Crusaders with uh, Jesse Sargent. Worked there for a couple of years, then went to Canada. Coached there for a year at a university, then went to Denmark, coached professionally, uh, and now I'm back in the UK coaching at Barking Abbey and, and currently GB Under-20's lead assistant coach. So, there's a, there's a, a lot of stuff that I think um, 
we can kind of go into and, and that I want to go into. But I think, you know, the first, you've been back in the UK now. Uh, this is your second year back in the UK? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, back, uh, yeah, just coming up two years, I think. How have you found uh, the transition going from pros, which is what you were doing, obviously, in, in Denmark, and then coming back to the sort of youth system? How have you found that? Um, if I'm honest, the, the, the first probably couple of months I found pretty difficult. It's obviously completely different. I hadn't coached, um, I suppose, UK youth basketball in quite a while. So for, for me, the transition was quite difficult. But I think it was it was it was good being able to come into to barking with Lloyd and Mark and kind of not going in like and and being given a lot of responsibility and saying right, you're going to coach this team, you're going to have uh, this role within us. It was kind of I could come in and 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 do some individuals with the guys, but also. So assist Lloyd with the Division One team as well. So I think it was good being able to do that, do it that way instead of kind of just being thrown in at the deep end a little bit. So being able to to, to ease my way back into it, I think kind of was really good for me. Um, and, and and now being back now for two years, I feel like I've kind of uh, I've immersed myself back into it, and I feel like a lot more comfortable kind of uh, coaching youth basketball uh, compared to the pros. What would you say is the biggest difference between um, the adults and the, and the juniors? I mean, the, the, the pro the, the pro side of things is it's it's kind of uh, well where I was anyway. It's it's if 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 you're not winning games, it's you, you can lose your job, um, and I think that's kind of that was the big thing for me in Denmark was we, we when I first got there we got to a terrible start. We lost our first four games, I think, and I think that. That was the thing that I worried a lot about. Was it was purely about winning. Like we had to win games. If we didn't win games, um, my job was was uh, in danger, and so was the, the the players that played for me. So, in that sense, it was that that was way different to to the especially the the system that we run here at Barking. It's it's all about player development. So, of course, winning is still important, but player development is 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 the most important thing. So maybe making that transition as well and understanding that maybe it's not always about the winning it's about the development of the players I think that was the, the biggest difference I found coming back and now having been on both sides of the coin do you have a personal preference um, I mean they both have pros and cons uh, I, I think that I, 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 do, I did really like the pros I mean that was it was it was something I'd never done before and uh, I really did enjoy it the kind of day to day kind of the, the pro life of, of, of bringing the guys in every day and doing our individuals and and uh, traveling all over the country and all over Denmark and, and, and that but I think that the actual youth basketball I, f- I feel like that's that that seems to me to be where I feel most comfortable and I enjoy probably that more than the actual pros I feel like being able to make kind of a difference to to, to young players not only on the court but off the court um, I feel like that for me, I, I feel a bit more comfortable doing that, and I feel like uh, I enjoy that probably more than the actual pros itself. Longer term, you know, what are your what are your goals in coaching? Do you do you think that now you want to stay in in sort of youth development and working with juniors? Do you think that you you end up you're going to end up wanting to go back to um, coaching in a in a pro club? Like, what's what's kind of on the horizon for you? Uh, for, I mean. I, 
I would never rule anything out. So, like, I, I've never ruled out not going back to the pros. Um, it's something that I've had teams contact me over the last couple of years, seeing if I'd be interested to go back. But there hasn't really been a, anything that's really kind of fit what I wanted to do or an opportunity that I really wanted to wanted to take. So, I wouldn't rule out going back to the pros. I, I, at the moment, I'm happy in the UK. I'm happy with where I'm at. Um, I, I, I'd like to one day maybe coach in the BBL. It's something that I've always kind of wanted to do. I've, I've wanted to coach in the top league in the, in the UK, and I, I feel like um, we should have more uh, young British coaches doing that in, in the BBL. I would, I, I would like to do that maybe one day, maybe at one point have my own academy uh, down the line. But, but at the moment, I'm very happy with where I am, especially uh, working at Barking. Why... Um... Why do you say the BBL? It's, it's interesting. It's very rare that we uh, hear people in England aspiring um, to the BBL. Like, what is a, what is it about it that that makes you want to coach there? I guess it's just like I've I've coached pretty much every um, area of the game in the UK. I've I've done youth level at the the youngest age groups. I've gone up and done. Uh, the stages above that, I've done national teams. I've done uh, kind of semi-pro leagues, Division One, Division Two, um, Division Three, and Four. So, like I, for me, it's just one area that in the UK I have not done or had a chance to progress at. So, for me, it's I, I wouldn't say it's like it's not my ultimate aspiration to coach in the BBL, but it's something that I would like to be given the chance to one day be able to do. Have you had any conversations with any BBL clubs up until this point? Uh, none. Never. Never. Really? Uh, no, I've never. I, I mean, I've, I've spoken to... I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with Andreas, so obviously we speak a lot about the BBL, and, um, but not, nothing directly with, uh, with, with a job in mind or anything. I've never had any contact with any BBL teams, no. So it brings us on to an interesting point, which you know, we're, we're, it's inevitable that we we're going to get into like the kind of state of the game stuff and um, and British basketball as a whole. So, kind of, what do you think as a as a young coach? Um, you know, interestingly, when, when I spoke to Kevin Routledge last week on a podcast, uh, he was talking that that kind of the next thing for them at, at Leicester is is to get is to improve and develop coaches um, because they think that's the, kind of like the key to. Uh, improving their program and being able to develop players from junior age all the way up through to the senior level. Um, so, kind of on, on that point, like you know, if if a uh, if a coach is if there's a young guy or, or even an older guy that wants to get into coaching and wants to make that their career in the UK, um, what do you think are the steps? Are there steps defined? Like, what are the what are the barriers that people face? I, I mean. In my personal view, we need to completely revamp the entire way that we approach coaching in the country. For, for me personally, I've, I've, I've been quite outspoken about this in the past. I, I, I really don't think the level one, two and three works. Um, I think that it's something that we did, I don't know how many years ago that, that we started doing that, but that, that, that hasn't changed. We haven't progressed. We haven't developed that. For me, it's way too easy for someone to just go and get a level one, a level two, and then suddenly now they're a National League coach, coaching youth team basketball, coaching semi-pro basketball. Um, that doesn't happen in, in, in many other places where they're successful, especially at basketball. So for me, I think it needs a complete revamp. Um, I mean, when I was in Canada, 
Uh, I was only there for for the one season, but I was uh, kind of not put through their level one, but was able to go along to clinics and some classroom sessions. And, and their level one was incredibly in depth. Like their level one was far more in depth than our level three. Um, and for me, it's I, th- I think we just need a complete revamp because for me, the most important thing is the most important coaches, the coaches that coach are youngest players um i remember that that one of the things that always kind of stuck with me was when i was i was team manager for the england under 18 girls this was when i first started coaching um we went to grand canaria for a week and we got to watch the grand canaria youth teams play the men's team the women's team and a women's coach came and spent some time with us and he made a really big point about saying that um, we, we were watching a youth, a youth practice and these kids were 10, 11 years old being put through a practice and he made a really big point to, to all of the coaching staff saying to us, if the, most, the, the, the best coaches at their club are the ones that coach the youngest so that when he gets them, when they're senior women, when they're 18, 17, 18, 19 years old, they're already kind of being developed, being moulded into these players um, so for when he gets them he doesn't have to revisit how to do basic footwork how to make this read in uh, basic pick and roll it's already done for him um, and I think that that's where we have a big problem is that the, the, the a lot of the times the, the people that do coach our youngest players are not our best coaches um, and I, I think that most coaches in this country the, the higher level ones will, I, I would think would agree with me I mean we we get players all the time that come in at 17, 18 years old and, and they've had very low level coaching and we're having to revisit everything again from the very beginning. And I think that when I speak, when we go to Europeans championships and I speak to other coaches, they always say the same thing to me. They always like, you have amazing athletes. They're, they're uh, incredible athletically, but they don't know how to read the game. They fundamentally aren't as good as some of the other nations. And for me, that comes back to the, the, the coaching of the youth players at the very, very, very young ages. We, we've got to do a better job of policing that at the highest level, um, but also uh, teaching these coaches how to actually coach. Would you say that, um, you know, I don't need to name, name, name players and call, call players out, but, uh, you know, you've been with the under-20s three, is it three years? Yeah, three years. Four, four, four years. Is it four years? Just, just done my fourth year, yeah. Oh, wow. You've been with the under-20s four years. Um do you think it's fair to say that, like, I mean, well, what is the general sort of IQ level of the guys that you have coming in with the team? Um, you know, does it surprise you? Are they a lot further back than you expect them to be? Or have you come to expect that um, they're going to be lacking in a lot of areas because that's just what's happened every single year? I mean, uh, like, it's, some of them have a very high IQ, and I think that's a lot of that can be kind of natural as well. Just it's a natural thing with them. Uh, with some of them and some of them haven't been here for a long time so when we get them in they've been in a European system they've been in the States for a long period of time some of them come in and and they're already at that level so some of them are fine but then of course we do get players that come in at at that age group who fundamentally are not as good as as players of of similar age at at the Euros Um, I think that's probably throughout all the age groups I think that's probably a, a similar trait do you think part of the problem is that now it's almost that um, national teams are required to teach as opposed to 
you know, being able to just put in the sets and, and go. Yeah, I think I think that that is an issue. I know, and I know there is stuff being done to try and and, and make that better. I mean, we have the obviously we we have the RPC sessions now that are being set up, and obviously players go to these RPC sessions and and uh, they're taught obviously the fundamentals. They're still taught team stuff at these RPC sessions as well. But for me, that's still not enough. I mean, I, I'm not involved in the RPC. Uh, set up anymore but I, I'm pretty sure the RPCs are not as not not every single weekend um, uh, unless things have changed since I did it but for That's me it's rare. I mean it needs to be, it needs to be the regular it needs to be the, the, the coach that has the most contact with the kids needs to be the one with the knowledge that can then spend the time to put that into the kids right and and that's the thing I mean it's, it's got to be the it's got to be the the, the buy-in has got to come from the coaches that coach the kids the most whether that's academies or whether that's their national league coaches um but we need a full buy-in from everyone of like this is what we're trying to do as a nation we're trying to do this this is the style of play we kind of want to run um and 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 i think that the, the another problem that we kind of have especially at youth level is i think the coaches think it's all about winning um and that's obviously not the case i mean of course, of course we want to teach kids that the importance of winning and that we want to win but Obviously, it's about development as well. I mean, I, I've, I've gone to watch some games this year, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I watched a, a couple of under-14 games, um, and, and they're running 15 or 16 sets. And I'm like, like, what, what, what is these kids benefiting from this? I mean, I, with with the team I, I have at the moment, we don't have more than four sets at the moment. That's all we have. Um, and the rest of it's all motion based and for me just stuff like that worries me like I watch games like that and I'm like this is the problem that we have I mean they're being taught to run sets at 14 years old um, I don't see how that's benefiting benefiting our kids I mean, and that's the problem we get them at 15, 16 and it's too late a lot of times um, I, I think that's a big problem as well how much of an issue do you think it is that, uh, like, how important do you think it is for coaches to have had a playing background um, compared to just going into it with no background at all? Do you think that makes a difference or not? I, I kind of go back and forth on this one. I, I, I'm not sure if it makes a huge amount of difference. I think it can help having a playing background. Um, but I also think that I've, I've seen both sides. Like, I've seen coaches that have never played before who are great coaches um, and I've seen play, uh, coaches that have never played before that it just it doesn't work for them but it, I mean the thing is especially I, I've seen a lot of coaches who have played for a number of years end up being quite narrow-minded in the sense that they were taught this way of way to do it their coach taught them this and this is the way that they're going to do it this was what they were taught 20 years ago this is the way we're doing it whereas I find sometimes the coaches who haven't played played have a much more open mind about things um, I mean I'm, I'm just saying that sometimes I mean it, it kind of goes back and forth both ways you could argue both places but for me I, I, I don't particularly think it makes a huge difference yeah it's that thing of like uh, you always see people talking about if you if the player was very talented um, during his or her playing days they kind of don't understand what it's like to not have that talent or to not be that good it's true um, yeah, yeah I think I think that can be that, I mean and you, you can see that sometimes, uh, you can see, but for me, I, I'm not sure that that's like a, 
a big thing or like a, I don't think that determines whether you're a good coach or not if you played before if you didn't play before I, I don't I, I don't think that so how that really determines anything really okay so how do um how do you begin to solve the problems with coaching in this country now you know you've spoken about starting with an overhaul of of the coaching qualification um but do you think that that would do what's necessary like i mean i, I mean I, I don't know i it just i, I for if me if you were like in the, charge what would you do is essentially what i'm asking the, what would be your first for, what would be your first step first the 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 level 1 2 and 3 the, the, for me that needs a complete overhaul now for me the level 1 and 2 a lot of times the people who get the level 1s and 2s i mean i i've been there and seen it and taught on them there a lot of times are pe teachers so for me, you keep, you can keep that side of it because you can keep that, but then that should needs to be separate from the people that are actually trying to coach and take coaching seriously. That the courses need to be changed, and and maybe you'll weed out some of the people that are in it for the wrong reason. If you're serious about being a coach, and I know that time time constraints can be like maybe people have full time jobs. Um, and a lot of us do that. I mean, a lot of people who coach on the weekends have full-time jobs. They don't They don't have the luxury of being able to take up coaching full-time. But if you're serious about coaching, then you need to be able to, if it's in your part, in, in your free time, be able to study whatever it might be. But for me, that, that needs a complete overhaul. I mean... And just, um, just to clarify, you've got all your levels. You, so you've gone through I've done them all. all of them. I've done one, two, and three. Uh, and then I'm on the FECC at the moment, taking the FIBA qualification. How, how deep are you into the the FIBA qualification? Like have you have you actually had sessions and stuff? Sorry, say that again. It cut out a little. The, bit the FECC. How far into mm-hmm. it are you? Have you had sessions uh, and stuff? Yeah. So we did. We did. Me and me and Guy Coles were on it at the moment. So we did our first year. Um, we were at the Under Sixteens European Championships for that first year. Yeah. Last year we were meant to be at the Under Eighteens, but it got called off because of. Uh, the problems in Turkey, so the actual under-18s got called off, and then this summer we'll be back there again for another week. Uh, for I'm not, I mean, I'm not 100% sure if this will be our last one or we have to go back again because usually it's done over three European Championships. But uh, with last year being cancelled, I'm not sure if we just do the two or we end up doing three. And how have you found that in terms of what they teach and the contents of the actual the course? I mean, it's good. I mean, the first year is, as they say, when we come into the, the first year, it's a lot of revisiting the the very kind of basic side of our, the, the fundamentals. Um, but I mean, even for me, for, for going over that stuff is great for me. Just uh, I might not have taught that stuff for years and years and years, but it's still good to revisit all of that, all of that stuff as well. I mean, we had some great clinics. We got some of the best coaches in Europe come in and do clinics. Hesich is there. Um, he was there for the entire time. Uh, we had clinicians come in from all over Europe and take clinics. We had classroom sessions. Um, it, I mean, and then we went to watch games in the, in the evenings, watched the whole European Championships as well. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's really beneficial. The, 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 the most beneficial thing on it, really, for me, and I think Guy would would agree, is the the networking side of it. Um, I mean, you've got 60 coaches in one place at one time. A lot of them work for their federations as well. So just kind of banging ideas off each other, talking about what's good in their federation, what works for them. Um, that side of it, I think, has been really good. It's been very good for me anyway, just being able to speak to those kind of, those coaches, make contacts, 
um, and, and, and as a group, we speak quite regularly as well. Out of interest, when you are around your peers, let's say that, uh, you know, whether it's at European Championships and you're speaking with other coaches or in the FEC, FECC when you're speaking to other coaches from, from Europe, do you ever feel out of your depth like you are kind of, your own IQ is lower than guys of equivalent experience overseas? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think I've ever, ever really kind of felt that way. I feel pretty confident in my own ability. Um, and um, I mean, it, it, I, I don't think with my peers, as in the group with the FECC, I mean, when you come up and you, you end up having these kind of one-to-one sessions and these little small group sessions and you're talking to um, uh, Dravich or you're speaking to Pesic, I mean, you, you feel a little bit kind of like, wow, these guys are like the real deal. They're EuroLeague champions. And um, I mean, you get a bit, almost a little bit starstruck at times. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you, I, I ever feel like uh, I'm not on the same level as, as the guys that I'm on the FECC with. Um, and I, I don't think it's kind of, I don't think it kind of works that way anyway. I kind of feel like, the FECC is it's just a uh, it's kind of like a it's just a, a big group of coaches getting together and just talking basketball for a whole 10 days um for me I just use it as a learning uh, in a learning capacity just to try and learn as much as I can from all these great coaches for me it's just it's just a, a, a great opportunity what would you say are your biggest sources of uh of information for your own development like how yeah, I know when we've done interviews in the past, you know, you said you're a big reader. Um, but like, you know, if you're trying to better yourself and improve your own IQ and your coaching skills, how do you um, learn? I mean, there's such a array of information out there now that I remember when I first started coaching, the only way you could pretty much get information was to was to read books. So I have a humongous library of, of, of books, which I still go back to and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go over. I, I'm still a big reader. I try and, try and read at least, I don't know, at least a book every three weeks, four weeks at least, maybe a little bit more if I have more time. Um, the internet now, you have a humongous amount of information on there, especially on YouTube. I found that I find that Fever have done a really good job with their coaching library. They've, they put a ton more stuff on there, um, some new content, which is uh, it's a little bit hit and miss. But there's there's so much content on there. You could watch a, a clinic pretty much every single day, um, and, and and still not get through all that stuff. Uh, I, I watch a lot of clinics online from the Coaching You um, clinics, which are pretty good, which you can you can pay for, watch online, and stream them. Um, I mean, the other thing as well is being here at Barking, I feel like I'm in a pretty good situation where I might just go and watch Mark Clark's session or I might go and watch uh, Lloyd go and take an individual. And, and, and I, I mean, I learn a ton from them as well. I mean, being here, is, I mean, it's a great opportunity just to learn from some other great coaches. So, um, I mean, the, the, the I think that's a big thing for coaches. I'm sure most coaches agree. You've got to kind of have a hunger to just continue to learn. I mean, there's so much information out there. You could you can continue to learn continuously forever. I mean, there's not a point. I mean, even when we were in the FECC, Pesic and these guys were coming into the, the clinics that we were at, the, the classroom classes. I mean, they were coming in taking notes. I mean, they're still learning. They're, they're, they're in their 70s. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it's just a continual trying to having a hunger for information, continually wanting to try and learn more. What what was it actually um, made you want to be a coach? I mean, it's it's interesting because obviously in the UK there there is very there are very few professional full time basketball coaches that don't have to do other bits and bobs as part of their job that are literally just yeah. coaching. Um, yeah. So again, it's it's a, it's a bit of a weird thing to aspire to when it doesn't seem there's that much of a, of a so for you personally. Right. What was it? Uh, to, to be honest, I didn't actually want to become a coach at all. I, when I was a player, my coaches that I played for, all of them said that they thought I would make a good coach. I took that I didn't ever really think about it, um, and then I quit playing quite young um, and kind of almost fell out of love with basketball for a little while. Um, what and made then, you quit? I was, I was, I mean, I, I was, I went to high school in the States and then when I came back, I was meant to stay and go to college, but my kind of scholarship fell through last minute. Um, and then, so I came back and decided I carry, wanted to carry on playing. But at that point, um, basketball in the UK was, it wasn't in a, it wasn't in a bad place. Uh, it wasn't in a particularly great place either, but if I wanted to be a professional basketball player, I would have to go and play for someone like London Towers, uh, London Leopards, these kind of teams. And I, I mean, I went along and, and tried out and they were kind of like, yeah, we want you to play, but if you're going to come and play for us, you're going to have to come to every training session. Most we can pay you is 50 pounds a week. Um, and I think I got to the point where I was like, I just don't think that's going to work for me. And I kind of thought to myself, maybe basketball trying to become a professional isn't, what I meant to do. Um, so that was the reason that I kind of quit and kind of distanced myself from basketball quite a lot. Um, and this was still when both my other brothers were still playing. I think one of them was in the States, uh, Mark, who's never came back. He's still there now. And Steve was still playing um, and playing at quite a high level at that point. And I just distanced myself from it completely. And then it was uh, a kind of random kind of phone call that I got from Rad Miller Turner, who used to work at Basketball England, and she said, do you want to get into coaching? Do you want to coach? Your dad said that you're not anything to do with basketball anymore. Would you be interested in doing it? And I knew that Seven Oaks was starting up a boys team, and uh, Tim Lewis, I'd, I'd spoke to Tim as well, um, and Tim was like, yeah, well, why don't you come down to a session, assist me, and then we'll see how it goes. Maybe you can take one of the teams. Um, so I, I turned up at Seven Oaks, and Tim uh, threw me in at the deep end, didn't turn up to the session. Uh, <laughs> and um, the kind of rest is history. I had no lesson plan, just kind of walked in and thought, let's see how it goes. And I, I, from that first session, I kind of, I think I just knew, like, this is kind of what I wanted to do from then on. And then I, I was very lucky. That first team I had was a great group of kids um, who I'm still in contact now with, a lot of them. Um, and... From that kind of point onwards, I kind of went through the system, did it the way kind of back then that you had to kind of go through all the the development squad, southeast national team, and it's kind of progressed from there really. Were you, so when you first went to Seven Oaks, were you did you have another job? Yes, yeah, I used to. I mean, looking back at it now, I used to do some. I used to work up in town, um, and then what I would do is we trained twice a week. I would rush back from work, get back into my car, 
drive from southwest London all the way around the M25, go to practice, finish practice late, drive all the way back home, not get back till 1, 2 in the morning, wake up the next day, go to work. We used to do that two, three times a week. And what was your job? Uh, I was an accountant. Okay. And then, so then at what point um, were you able to step away from, from the day job and kind of go full-time on the, on the basketball stuff? The first time I did it was... Um, when I worked with Jesse at Canterbury at the academy there. So I was, I was obviously I was working at Seven Oaks, Jesse was at Canterbury, and we played each other quite a lot in these, the, the, the youth basketball games. And we'd see each other occasionally, and me and Jesse would sit after, after games and we'd talk about basketball. And I'd always say to him, like, I, I, I really don't want to be in this office job anymore. Like, I, I feel like this is what I want to do. And Jesse was like, right, I think maybe we can give you an opportunity at Canterbury. Uh, to come in and work at the academy um, and then since then I mean I was very lucky just gave me the opportunity I was, I was, I was still pretty young then as well so he just gave, he said look come in you be my assistant at the academy um, and I did that and we had uh, I think I was there two years and we had two, it might be three years we had, we had we had a really great time we had a great academy team uh, a lot of those players played in the in the men's team as well so um, that was the first time that was basketball was full time for me, where I didn't have to do anything outside of the basketball. And how old were you at that point? Uh, I, I would say 26. I think it was. I think it was 26, 27, something like that. Wow. I think 26. And you've been full, you've been full time since then. Pretty much, yes. Yep. Yeah. There was a point when, um, in between those three years, there was a point where I actually still worked. I, I coached the men's team. I'd quit the academy with Jesse but we're still coaching the men's team and at that point I went back into accountancy um, and then we're travelling and coach the uh, men's team uh, in the in the evenings so at that point that was like a that was that wasn't for very long though that was like a six month period where money wise I just needed to, to make a little bit more money um, so I ended up going back to that for six months while doing the men's team and then from that point on that's when I went to Canada after that now I mean Obviously, as a basketball coach in, in England, there aren't there aren't a lot of guys that um, that earn what they could be earning if they stayed in the in the you know corporate sector, whether it's being an accountant yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. Um, do you ever think about just saying, "Oh, do you know what? You know, I, I'm yeah. getting older. I need to earn money. I'm gonna yeah. sack it in." Like, kind of, what, what's the thought process around that? I, I mean, I know if I'm honest with you, this past summer was the, maybe the first time I've. I've sat down and properly thought, you know what, this might be a time to maybe step away for a little while um, and look at going back into the corporate world. Um, I had opportunities to do that. I had some um, some job offers in the corporate world where um, I could have made a lot more money than I would do coaching basketball. Um, but to be honest, uh, coming back this year and and, and and coaching, I, I don't think there's anything else I want to do. Um, uh, I, I still am interested in the corporate world, and I still have kind of ties there with with friends, family, etc. But um, I, I, I mean, I love what I do. For me, I know it, it might sound kind of stupid, but when I wake up in the morning, I don't really feel like I'm going to work. Um, it never really feels like that for me. I'm eager to get into work, um, and a lot of times. Um, I want to stay late, help out as much as possible, um, 
for so for me I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of lucky in the sense that I do a job that I don't really feel like it's a job I feel like it's a passion of mine and it's uh, I mean I'm very lucky I get to coach a game and get paid for it yeah, it is it's is such a fine balance you know I've, I've turned 30 this year so I've kind of uh, yeah. I've been facing all these uh, realizations myself of just like yeah. you know, if, if I ever want to buy a house if I ever yeah. want to um, just grow up a little bit and yeah. not live in you know shared accommodation in London um, yeah. I need to start earning some money and and, and, it, and it is that thing of like oh you know I love what I do and um, and obviously Hoops Fix is my thing and it's my little baby and, and all this and but then at the same time, it's like this has got to start working at some point because I can. I do not want to be forty years old, earning no. what I'm earning now, living how I'm living now. Um, I think you just get. Well, I think in, in in the back of my head, I always have this thing where I feel like at some point maybe it will click here and that something will happen where yeah. basketball becomes what we all want it to be and what we believe it can be in this country and hopefully that the, the, the people who all that hard work will maybe pay off financially but I mean and you speak to most coaches who, who coach full-time in this country I, I'd be very surprised if any of us do it for the money yeah. um, I, I mean and if they are doing it for the money um, I, I don't know what they're doing coaching wise but I, I don't know many I don't know many uh, full-time coaches in the UK that are making crazy amounts of money where they can buy houses in, in central London. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, what do you, what do you think it would take, you know, from, from my standpoint, I'm just like, well, if it, you know, I don't know exactly what it would take to really blow up the game here. But one thing is for sure, like for me, it's like, I look at the pro league and I say, well, you know, if we have a strong professional league, that changes everything. Like my situation is pretty much determined by how many, uh, brands, organisations, companies have marketing budget that put money into basketball that want to do certain things where they'll employ me either as a consultant or they'll take advertising out on the site. Um, and I can only see them becoming more involved when the Pro League really takes off. Do you think it's the Pro League that's the kind of key to funneling more money into the game um, and kind of raising the level or do you see it as something else? I, I, I think the, the Pro League is is very important to basketball in this country. Um, I mean, I'm from an era where I used to, I mean, I found recently a program where Kingston Kings played at the Royal Albert Hall that I went to. I mean, like, and that was in front of 10,000 people. Like, can I remember going to watch these play? I mean, and that was a big reason why I loved when, when I was growing up that, these were my heroes, like Alton Bird, Alan Cunningham, these guys. I used to go and watch these guys, and they, that was the pros. That was what we would call the pros. Um, and you would watch, like, I mean, they played in front of, I mean, and, and, and don't get me wrong, that model didn't work in the sense of it was eight Americans and two English kids sit on the end of the bench. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to go back to, to those days. And obviously it needs to be uh, a little bit different. But I think that, I mean, I remember when you used to watch basketball and Sky Sports, and it was a big deal. Like it was, uh, used to watch uh, the games on Sky Sports and they'd be packed out gyms, thousands of people watching. And basketball, I felt like back then was a big, was a big deal. Um, but now I feel like we've kind of lost that. And I, I, I just don't think that we have that anymore. I don't think the product is like what it was back then. Um, and that's important. If the product's not as good as it was uh, or is, is not what it could be, um, then why are people going to come and watch it? Why, why are 
why TV, why is Sky Sports going to pick up basketball if the product's not good enough? Um, okay, so, and, so and, for, you, for you personally, uh, let me ask you this. You, you know, you work at Barking Abbey, so you're in East London. You've got London Lions down the road playing at the Copper Box in Stratford. Do you attend London Lions games uh, or any BBL games for that matter during the course of the season? Um, and if so, why? If not, why not? I've, I've been to one London Lions game. Uh, well, ever, met, ever, <laughs> ever, yeah, ever. I've only <laughs> ever been to one, and I, and I went, and 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 I don't want that to sound like I'm going because I, I don't want to go. It's the the reason I went for that one time is my friend, uh, who I used to coach, uh, who I used to coach with. He had some tickets, so we went on a, a, a random evening because we thought he had free tickets, so I thought we'd go. Um, and I, I think for me, I mean, the game was fine. I had no problem with that side of it. It was just that when I looked at the ticket and I was like, wait a minute, like if I wanted to come here and not have a free ticket, I'd have to spend over 20 pounds. <laughs> I thought to myself, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to do that. I, I just wouldn't. I, and that's, it's, it's about the product. Like you, it's, that's, a, that's a lot of money to go and watch a, bit of, a BBL basketball game. Um, How much would you pay to go and watch a BBL game? I mean, you're looking at probably what I would say around eight to ten pounds. I think it's a fair amount, maybe a little bit less. I mean, and for me, it's not about me as much as how much. I mean, the kids should just get them for free at all, at all clubs. For me, I mean, that's the that's the ones we need to get interested in basketball. It's the youth. We need to get as many kids into the games as possible. You you get these kids in at four, five, six years old. That's when I started going to Kingston Kings and watching them at Tolworth. I, that was it. I wanted to be one of those guys that were playing. Next thing you know, I've got basketball in my hand. I'm playing every single day outside, outside with my two brothers, uh, outside of our house at our hoop. And I mean, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get the youth involved as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally, I don't go and watch BBL games. It's just, that's my preference. I, if I'm going to go and watch a game, I'd probably go and watch, uh, uh, EABL one division one game. I'd go and watch Mark Stutel coach, um, but what, I don't watch that? match or uh, it's just for me. It's just that's that's the 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 style of basketball. The players that play in those teams and players probably that I've coached, players that um, uh, and the style of basketball. I guess that's a big thing for me as well. I mean, um, I, I like that, that that those kind of games for me. Or I, and that's just my personal opinion. I like those games. But I'm not saying that's for every single BBL team. I don't want it to, to sound like that. I'm not anti-BBL whatsoever. There's some teams that are incredibly well run. I mean, you, you, the Leicester Riders play good basketball. Um, and some other teams in the BL Newcastle play good basketball. Um, but, like, for me, I, I, I would probably prefer to go and watch one of those games. Um, and, a lot of, and, and, and the other things to do with that is the EBL one games. It's young British players. Yeah, that's what I coach. I coach. I coach young British players. I coach GB under twenties. I coach youth players here at Barking. I want to see the youth, the, the the best youth English, the best young English players in the country. And most of them will play in EBL one. Not many of them go and play in the BBL. Um, I mean, there's 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 the odd case now. And I mean, like players like Joe Hart now play at Newcastle. And if Joe was in London, I'd try and get along to go and watch him play maybe and, and, and some of the, some of the other younger guys that I've coached maybe in the past I would try and watch and and like if Andreas is uh, Bristol is playing in London I'll try and definitely go and watch Andreas because Andreas is someone I respect uh, a huge amount and, and 
uh, I'd, I'd obviously in the time that his teams play, I always like to go and watch them, um, watch them as well. But I, I think the the, the 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 real thing for me is is to watch young English talent. And for me, the the best young English talent is probably playing in EBL one or in the in the Basque in the Basque England leagues, not BBL. So so um, at Barking Abbey, you know, you're working with. Uh, and, and a lot of the best under under twenty, under nineteen um, junior players in the country that are junior internationals that are likely to get scholarships to the states that are likely to be some of our future pros. In the conversations you have with them, um, what is their perception of the BBL? Uh, God, that's a good question because I don't think I've actually spoke to many from about the BBL to be honest. Um, I don't know what their perception would be. I, 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 but would you would you say it's fair? To, like, I mean, the aspiration. What are they all working towards? Is it straight up? The, the, it's just a scholarship. Yeah. Oh, like, of course, their their aspiration is to go and play in America, um, and then after America is to be a pro. I mean, that's their that's their ultimate aspiration. Is but their first their first goal is to try and get to the states. And I'm not saying that's every kid that comes to Barking Abbey, but. I would say the majority of them, with the track record that, that we have here, I think that the that most of them, that is their first aspiration is to go to the States. I mean, you'd have to ask them if after the States, their aspiration is to go and play pro and if they think that the BBL is a league that they would want to play in. If I was honest with you, I think most of them would, would say they'd probably want to try and go and play in Europe somewhere. Um, but you'd have to ask them. I wouldn't know 100%. I don't think we've ever really discussed at length. Uh, I mean... We, we don't really discuss the pro leagues as much. Not, 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 uh, not as a choice. It's just that a lot of the time, like we, like you said, their aspirations to get the state. So a lot of times we talk about the college system more than the actual pro system. Yeah. Where does the um, where does playing for the national team fit onto their radar in terms of you know obviously you're an assistant with the boys. That are boys are the boys kind of speaking to you about you know that's what they. They aim to make the GB under twenties. They want to play for the GB under twenties and work their way up to the GB seniors. Or is it just, you know, uh, America's going to America, getting a scholarship? That's kind of the only thing on their sights. Um, I, I think it, it, I think it will it will differ with different with different players. I think that some um, hold hold the national team as being the ultimate kind of honour playing for your national team, and some of them will think that going to estates is the more important thing and that's what their ultimate aspiration is and the national team comes second um, this is this is a problem that I think that well being with the under 20s for four years we have a, we've had problems with getting players to come back and play for the national team when they're in the college system which I think is a huge problem um, and, and it's very the, unique to the UK because so many of our kids are like I'm sure that we've with a European country would have most Kids that are in the college system, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I. You just don't have it with other other national other national teams, I, it's, and it's something that actually at the FECC and when we go to European Championships, one of the first things we we talk to other coaches about is the not being able to bring players back, um, and we have problems with bringing them back. Um, I remember the Lithu speaking uh, to some Lithuanian coaches at the FECC. They were saying about if that ever happens and players decided that they weren't going to come back, or if the college team themselves were putting pressure on the player to stay in America, that that just just, just wouldn't happen. I mean, it would be like the player if he didn't want to come back, that would be it. He wouldn't be allowed in the national team again. Right. And if 
And if the college team was putting pressure on the player not to come back, they would turn, the, the federation themselves would say, right, that's it. No other Lithuanian player will ever come to your school again. We will make sure that you're blacklisted. Um, I mean, and that's the preference. That's, that's the importance they put on the national teams. And I, 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 I 100% agree with it. For me, it's 100%. And, and for me, I'll never really understand it for this, in the sense that I never understand why some of the college coaches in the States don't want their players to come back and play um, national teams. For me, it's like they get to play. So in the summer, they have limited amount of time with the NCAA rules of how much time they can spend with the players. So they can barely spend any time with them during the summer. Um, and when they're with us, they get to train twice a day. They're going to play against some of the best players in Europe. Um, I just don't see where there's like, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. It's not all college coaching. We yeah, have some, yeah. of the, some of the college coaches are pushing their players. I mean, they're throwing them out the door saying, you better go to the national team because it's going to be great for you this summer. But we obviously, we have these other coaches that turn around and say, no. And, 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 and to be honest, we know which those coaches are. I think most of us would know that in the system. We know which players don't come back and which teams they play for. And it continues to be a lot of times the same teams what is, for me, what is the rationale that the the US colleges give for that like why do they say that they, they well, they'll say things they'll say things like and sometimes I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's true they, they need to do summer uh, classes um, they'll say that they need to be uh, in school because they need to be doing uh, scrimmages with the team and the new coaches coming in so they need to be there for that or I, I don't know there's, there's a there's a ton of um, a ton of different excuses they use a lot of the time for me and and, and like I, I, the players put in a very difficult situation if you can imagine the players obviously been given a humongous scholarship they're having all of their education paid for and then their college coaches turn around and say, well, we don't want you to go. I mean, it puts them in a tricky situation. Their yeah. college is paying for their education. Um, and, and if they're saying, I mean, I, they might be saying, well, if you go, then you might fall down the pecking order. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Coach, they're not actually like legal. Well, it's not le- I don't know if legal is the right word, but they're not legally allowed to, uh, to, to prevent their players from going. No, right? no, no. And, and I think that... Speak and then having conversations with these other coaches from national, their players just turn around and tell them immediately. They're like, "I'm going to European Championships, and these are the dates that we're going to be there. Um, this is the this is when I'm going to be away from school, and this is when I'll be back, and I'll be gone for this six to eight week period, whatever it might be." Um, and 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 the other the flip side of that though is a lot of the a lot of the other the, the major the, the big big time. Uh, European countries, a lot of them don't. Their players don't go to America, yeah. so like they don't have the problems that maybe we have, where we have maybe twenties. We might have five or six guys over there trying to bring them back. Maybe Lithuania, Spain might only have one or two guys that are over there, so they don't have the issues that maybe we have, or the the amount of players they're trying to bring back in. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one because uh, you know I'm never gonna I'm never gonna. Um not be happy about a kid getting a scholarship and achieving their dreams or whatever. But then at the same time, you know, you see the mass exodus of all of our top young players. And I'm just like, I can't help. There's part of me that can't help but feel that obviously it massively hurts the game here. Yeah, it does. But then you, you can't blame them because it's like, well, if they've got a choice between going to a US college, playing in front of, you know, 5,000 uh, every game and getting all this stuff and free free education, or they stay in the UK and, 
very unlikely that they're going to get a full scholarship anywhere. Um, very unlikely they're going to ever have that sort of experience. Um, you, you can't blame them. So, but then I don't ever see the... I, I can't see a world where what the UK can offer to an 18-year-old is better or on par with what the States offers. Yeah, I don't think... I think that's the problem that we have. We don't offer what they can offer. Um, uh, and, and you can look at that as, as another thing is that is the, obviously the, the pro league again. I mean, it's teams in Spain, they, they, they don't need to send their kids to the States because they're put into their pro system with their pro teams at a very early age. And there's no need to them to, to go over to America um, to play in their college system. So, um, I'm, I'm not sure if that will ever change, though. Really, I mean, I, I mean, can we? Are we ever going to be able to offer that? I mean, at a college, are we going to be able to offer what they can offer? Probably not. I mean, the money that's in basketball and college system is just—it's absolutely incredible. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be able to offer that. What? Um, it's interesting because when you look at America and then you look at Europe. Obviously, Europe is based on the club system. America is based on the education system. And in England, we've got this really weird mix where we've got, we've got the kind of um, players are playing in, in their schools and their colleges, their universities. But then we also have the club system, the National League. Do you think if we were to say, OK, this is how it's going to be from now on, we are going only through clubs, education, like college uh, sort of school basketball is a completely different thing that isn't, um, doesn't matter. It's not part of the development pathway. Do you think that needs to be clearly defined, or do you think they can work with both, um, or do you think there needs to be a set, a set single group that players take? I think it needs to be better streamlined. Um, I mean, we. I think that the, I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, but the the kind of the system that they use through football clubs. So you know the like boss. I know that's a, probably a bad um, example, but the the system of doing everything through the through, it, through the club all the way through. Um, I, I mean, you can look at doing it that way. I just I I think the academy setup has been a real positive for um, for basketball in this country. The way for me, the way it's run is is it's run as as well as anything that we do basketball wise in the country. Um, but then it's like, like you said, everything's kind of like a little bit bitty. So you have like that going on with the club side on the side, and then you have um, BBL clubs, EBL clubs. Um, I think there just needs to be some sort of streamline, yeah, kind of, or, or, or something where we're all everyone's kind of on the same page. I mean, um, the, the, it's so funny that you say it, it's so itty bitty. One of the one of the toughest things I have um, trying to explain to Sometimes, you know, if I do work with a brand or a company or an organization that hasn't really dipped in basketball before and they're trying to do some stuff within British basketball, and they're like, oh, can you kind of explain to us how it works? Like, you know, I've seen this competition, I've seen this competition, I've seen this team, like, what? And it's like, there's no easy way. And, no. and the worst thing about it is not only is it difficult to explain, but there's no way of uh, rationalizing it and saying, well, no. this is why it is that way. No. Well, that's the thing that we, I, mean, I was speaking to a college coach this past week about one of our guys here at Parking, and he was, he was asking me, so 
tell, explain to me what, what, where he, where this player plays, like on the weekends, and yeah. so, and then we had a game on a Wednesday, an academy game. And then he kind of was like, well, I'm confused. Wait, wait a minute. So there's the academy game, like the college game, and I'm like, well, kind of, but not really. So then, wait a minute. So when he plays on the weekend. Surely that's the same team, though, right? Well, yeah, it's the same team, but they play in a different competition. Yeah. And like he, like he just couldn't get his head around it at all. Um, but like, yeah, like you said, it's it's just all a bit bitty. It's like I just feel like we're not all singing from the same hymn sheet at all. Um, and the same, at least the situations where you've got players that are playing ridiculous amount of games because they'll play, you know, yeah. acad- academy on a Wednesday. Might even have like a national school game on another day. Yeah. We're going to have like under eighteen national league. We're going to have senior national league. Like, yeah. it's just yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's just not, it's just doesn't work. Like, but then it's like we said, it's about everyone kind of working together. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that has happened yet or if it is going to happen. We just kind of need everyone to to kind of be pushing towards the same thing. Um, are, you, are you on any of the performance working groups that Bath England have put together for the new strategy and stuff? No. No, no, I'm on, no. Have no, you no. have you had any um, conversations with people that are on them? Do you know kind of where that's at in terms of because that that is essentially what this is. It's exactly what we're talking about. The whole point of those working groups are then following on from the strategy they released in the summer. This is going to be the executable plan that's going to be yeah. put in place to sort things out. So, have you heard anything? Do you know what is going on? If there's going to be anything coming out anytime soon. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I know the, some of the people that were on the discussion groups, um, and I know that there's ongoing discussions, but I don't know if anything's like come of those discussions. I don't know if uh, any plans have been put in place. Um, I'm not really sure at the moment. I know I know that some of the some of the people that are on them have said that they, there's been some like good some good discussions, some good talks, but what comes of that? I've, I don't know. I don't know what will come of that. I mean, I, th- I think we'll just have to wait and see and see how. Um, what what kind of comes out of those discussions? Yeah, it worries me a little. I feel like we're just we're getting a little bit. It's getting a little bit late in the day, you know. Considering they yeah, want to they want to publish these things, they said they wanted to publish them at the end of 2016, and we're now midway through November. And yeah. really, I know some people on the groups, and I've heard different things, but there doesn't seem to be anything really moving forward. Um, well, I think the thing is we. we, we Especially, I find, and this is like a, a, a kind of thing that's happened in the UK for years and years. We, we talk a lot, <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of talking, but is there much action? Like, and that's the same thing. Is like I always hear people um, complaining, always like this, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But when where's the actual action? Where what are we going to do to solve these problems? Yeah. Um, and like like you said, like these discussion groups are going on, but we can discuss all we want what, what's the action what, what action are we taking what yeah. are we going to do I mean and sometimes um, you know what you've just got to say I don't even know if this is right or wrong but we're going to do something and then we'll find out if it doesn't work this is a way yeah. that isn't going to work you know and then yeah. we can go down a different route um, and that's, that's the thing I've, I've kind of always looked, thought as well we were going back a little bit into the coaching side of things but like why we wouldn't look at models from other nations yeah uh, like, like I'm sure there's some. I mean, I mean, you look at like some of these smaller nations that are doing. I mean, I mean, at the under twenties that I was just at, the Europeans, Iceland were incredible. Like, like just the, the way that they play, structure-wise, everything. I mean, this is a country that has. I think we, were, I think we were saying here at Barking, they have as many people in Iceland as they do in the borough of Dagenham. <laughs> 
So like they're doing they're doing something right. They're producing yeah. good coaches. They're, I mean, for me, not to mention why, they beat our senior team in 2014. <laughs> there, you, there you go, and they beat our football. They beat our football team too. Yeah. So like, I mean, I don't know why we why we wouldn't look at the structures of some of these other smaller nations and what they're trying to do. And I mean, that might be happening. I I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I I obviously don't work at yeah. um, at BE or, or GB, but. Um, like I just don't understand why we wouldn't look at what these kind of these smaller nations. Do. I'm not saying that we would have to do it, but surely we'd be able to get pretty good ideas of what they're doing, what what's made them successful over the last couple of years. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I do agree on that. that. Our national teams have, haven't uh, haven't had a great time over these last couple of years. Me, obviously, I'm involved in that as well. I mean, I have to, we we have to take some responsibility that as coaches as well. Um, on that on that point, yeah. when you talk just to, I know we're we're coming up on time now. Um, got about another five five ten minutes. Are you good for another five ten minutes? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, was it your first year that the under twenties got promoted? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so first summer you got promoted. Um, you know, in the in recent years, well, I think this summer, as far as I know, like without looking at the data properly. I feel like it was one of the worst we've had in recent years for uh, junior national team performance. Yeah. You know, you you as someone that's been involved for four years and kind of actually been like there. Um, why do you think that is? Do you do you feel like it's just because you know you haven't been able to get the players that you wanted to get? Uh, do you think it's a systemic thing that is as a result of the system that's taking steps backwards in terms of how we're producing players, or do you think it's something else? I think it's like a mixture of it could be a, it's a mixture of a lot of things I think I think contact time with the team is is a difficult one um uh, I mean speaking to the other national team coaches that I know and all the other age groups they had limited amount of time with the players but they also played didn't play very many games either warm up games um I think that can be seen as quite a big problem I mean how much do you think the 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 funding cut how much of an effect do you think that has ha- had on uh, the under twenties program since you've been oh, involved? It's, it's huge. Like, I mean, I, t- I tell you, the first year we did it, uh, the first year I did it with Doug, which was twenty thirteen, was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did it with, with Doug and uh, Mark Stutel. We, I think, we played something like eleven warm up games before we'd even got to the championships. Like that was a huge part of us being able to gel as a team. Um, it was also us being able to play against play, uh, teams that were in the same division as us. Um, and we built up some momentum going into the championships. Going into a championships and not playing any warm-up games, it's really tough for any any team. Is that um, what you did this year? We play. We no this year. This year, to be honest, our warm up our warm up was actually pretty good. Like we had, um, it was better than the year before. We had uh, we had quite a few games. But we, we'd always want more, and we didn't have um, the amount of time that maybe we wanted with the players as well. Some players had to come in late because they were in the states. They weren't released uh, uh, on the date that we started camp. Um, I mean, th- I mean, these aren't. Ex- these, I don't see these as excuses. Uh, I, ultimately, we didn't get promoted. Um, and that was our ultimate goal. So um, I, I don't want it to look like we're, I'm trying to make up excuses why we didn't get promoted and why we didn't ultimately yeah. achieve what we wanted to achieve. But, I mean, I know that like, looking at these, the, watching the other teams at Europeans and speaking to coaches and knowing that they had numerous camps throughout the season or they, they played 
10 warm-up games before they even got there. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you think to yourself, wow, I wish we'd had more warm-up games. Maybe we'd be a little bit more prepared. Yeah. Uh, maybe our guys, would, we, we would know what our best rotation is. We would know, okay, well, this player works really well with this guy. Or, um, like, when you when you have limited amount of games, it's very hard to, to kind of find a rhythm before and that, the championship starts. And, and the games have been stopped. That's because of the funding cut, right? Because one of the things, the reason yeah. I ask is that it's, you know, a lot of people ask me, uh, oh, so what has the actual funding cut meant in real terms? And it's mm-hmm. hard to point to a lot of things except for this, I feel. That's the yeah, obvious I, one, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, and, and that, that, that's a GB thing. I mean, basketball England-wise, I, I don't know if that's... I, I think it's pretty similar with, 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 with them as well. Um, obviously, don't have as much contact with them as, as I do with the GB side of things, but I think they've had similar problems. I think, I mean... To use an example, the under-16 boys, I think they didn't play a warm-up game before they got to the Europeans. Yeah. Um, like, and for me, I, 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 you will never know, but for me, if they maybe played some warm-up games, that team maybe gets promoted. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a maybe. I don't know. Where, where do you sit on... Uh, you know, GB have always done it the way where they'll bring in players for, this, for like a few weeks and then they go straight to the Europeans, and which yeah. I think... From what I know, it seems like that's what uh, the majority of other um, countries in Europe do. Where with our England England teams, they obviously have a lot of little sort of mini camps throughout the year. Um, before... not, I'm not a bit, not a big fan of the mini camps personally. Um, why? Why? Is I that? think I just think that you get them together for two days. I just think it's very hard to get anything in. Like two days is. Is, is not very long at all. I, I, personally, I would rather have less mini camps and have them together for longer periods of time. So you do the, I don't know if you do the half terms and every half term it's the camp instead of having them maybe just for two days. I, I just, I think that if you do, if you have something, have them for two days and then you don't see them for eight weeks or 12 weeks, yeah. you, you're definitely going to have to go back over what you did in that first weekend, that, that, those two days. That's such a long period of time. You're going to spend probably another day going over what you put in eight weeks before. On the, on the same me, basis, just, you, like, you need the, for me, it's like you need the national team staff to be seeing the guys in of season. Course, you know? Of course. But then uh, <laughs> I, I agree with that. And maybe you, you do bring them in, but it's... Uh, I, I just don't. I just don't know if, it, if it's working. I just don't know if it's. And 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 we getting. Is everyone coming in? I mean, I've heard of instances where players can't make it. A lot of the players. Some of the players are in the states, so they're not going to come in for a weekend. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I kind of understand it. But if we're nas- national team coaches, surely you should be going around and watching games anyway. Yeah. Uh, On the same basis, the, the other thing that always blows my mind is that if you if you let's say that you have your first. I think they, a lot of them will have their first camp in, say, October or November or whatever it may be. Um, and then guys are cut and it's like, well, the Europeans aren't until August next year. Yeah. And you've now ruled out a player, got yeah. no idea what they're going to look like in a year's time. You're never going to look at them again. But, and you're yeah. making that decision a year in advance, pretty much. It just seems absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, I don't under, personally, I don't understand that at all. Um, for me, that the, the the squad should be a squad of how you can put a number on it. I don't know what a number a good number would be in the twenties, maybe late teens, and and you have that group. For me, that that group stays together, or 
and you, you use that group the entire time they're together. Like you said, players develop. Players can develop a season yeah. from going from someone who maybe at the start of the season is. I mean, especially at the those younger age groups, they can have growth spurts. I mean, like you just you just don't know how that player's going to be in yeah. eight, eight nine months' time. I mean, I, I've seen that plenty of times, even with the under twenties. I've seen players that I've seen them at eighteen and been like, yeah, this. This player's going to have a real problem if they want to try and come into the 20s. And then you see them the nine months later, they put on 20, 20 pounds of muscle. Yeah. Uh, grown, and, grown a couple of inches, and then suddenly things change. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big – I don't really understand. I, I mean, there, there must be reasoning behind it. I don't know. I, I mean, that could, that could be a funding thing too. I mean, yeah. that could be the reason that they cut guys is they can't afford to bring in 20 every single time that's camp. Maybe they can only afford to bring in 15, and that's when they have to get rid of players so early on. Yeah, but then, I mean, I would counter that and just say, well, you know, you, the only way you're going to know the group that you want to work with is by actually going out to games during the season um, and seeing guys in season, in their role with their team and, you know, seeing how they look. Um, and it, I think there is a lack of, uh, you know, performance staff on the ground at games on a, on a regular basis. Um, Definitely. I mean, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to badmouth the the, the program at all but it's like the whole thing with the for me the 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 Deng top 50 you've got the the best arguably the best, the, the yeah. best 50 kids in the country in one place at one time you would hope that like someone would be there <laughs> well yeah and I, I was vocal about that and I said that I think I put a tweet out about it. I, I would hope someone would come down and watch them for me yeah. I mean I mean there were some guys there that I've never seen before and they they They've developed a lot in the past six, eight months, and like they could be players that are potentially GB yeah. players for the future. And so, you know what? And I, to be honest, yeah, I just think that's disrespectful. I just think it's straight disrespectful. I think that if I, if I'm a kid, if I'm a kid at 18, 19 years old, and I see that my federation isn't coming down to watch me at this top 50 camp where all the best players are, I'm just like, why should I give a toss? Like, why should I bother suiting up yeah. this summer? Why should you know? It's true. Yeah, and it's and, and for me, it's, it might be a gener- It could, I mean, generations have changed. For me, when I was younger, if I'd have just been told I was playing for the national team and I got a letter saying, "Right, you need to be here on the state," I would have done anything. I would have ran there. Like, yeah. if, it, but it, generations are different. Like, yeah. they, it's it's completely different generation. And yeah, just be it. Like, and it's the whole the, the thing for me as well is like some of these kids need advice as well. Like, yeah. where are they getting their advice from? Like, so like. Players are being like told to go to the states in high school, which then affects their eligibility. They don't know what NCAA requirements they need to be able to go there. They don't know anything, and I'm, I'm not saying that the federation should be that person that um, for every single player. But if we've got some kids that are like we think that are potentially future GB players, we need to invest some time into them. Like, surely there should be someone from the federation speaking to these players and trying to find out what decisions they're trying to make. Like uh, I, I mean, if if it was someone that we think, oh, like this is a, this guy's a, a huge talent that we maybe potentially could be a GB men's player in the future, we need to invest time in them now and find out what their their plans are yep. instead of just leaving them to their own. Device. I mean, and a lot of times the parents don't know either. They they they're not in that system. They don't know what the best thing for their kid is. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're being told maybe by the club coach it's this. They're being told by the national team coach it's this. I mean. I, I just think that there needs to be some more, uh, like you said, feet on the ground. There needs to be some people going out watching games, some guys, some people, whoever it is, attending camps, yeah. um, speaking to coaches, whatever it might be, speaking to parents. But 
Um, and it comes back to the communication thing with me. It's like we've just got to become better communicators in that, in that sense. All right, we are coming up on an hour and ten minutes, so um, I think it's a, the perfect place to leave it. There's obviously so many, so much more things that we could go into, but uh, we can always do a part two down the line. But um, yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. It is much appreciated. And cheers, no sir. doubt I will see you soon. I'll see you soon, mate. All right, cheers, James. Cheers, bye. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos, and more.